Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Welcome to the Medicine Path Podcast. I'm your host, Brian James. On this episode, I speak with Jim Sanders, a Canadian ayahuascaro and filmmaker who has been apprenticing with his maestro Juan Flores for over a decade. Jim shares openly about his background as a raging anarchist activist filmmaker, the challenges of balancing his family life with his calling to become a healer, integrating his whole family into his medicine work, and his mission to bring the healing medicine of South America to the indigenous communities of North America who are experiencing the devastating effects of deep generational trauma, poverty, and segregation. This is my favorite kind of conversation, and I'm grateful to Jim for sharing so openly and honestly about what it's like to walk the medicine path while taking care of family responsibilities. I especially appreciate how Jim has come full circle, from angry anarchist to being of service to the healing of the underserved and neglected indigenous communities of his own homeland. He speaks with great love and respect for his maestro Juan Flores, who will be leading the ceremonies and attending to the individual healing protocols of the participants in my upcoming men's retreat to his center Mayantayaku, outside of Pocalpa, Peru, from December 27th to January 9th. And we still have a couple spots available, so if you've been considering something like this as a way to become a better man, husband, father, and friend, whatever roles apply to you, please consider joining us on this journey. Juan Flores is getting old, and who knows how long we'll have the opportunity to work with him. And as Jim says in the interview, he's the real deal. I sincerely believe that a retreat like this is the most effective way to get to the bottom of what's holding you back in your life and relationships and receiving clear guidance on how to move forward. As Gabor Mate says, you can get as much insight in one ayahuasca ceremony as you can from 15 years of therapy. Well, I've never done 15 years of therapy, so I can't speak to that. But I can say that my work with ayahuasca has been integral to healing my old wounds and my growth into a more secure, honest, dependable, and loving man and husband. 
And if you don't believe me, just ask my wife, who's been with me through the whole journey. So if you're interested in joining us, please go to medicinepathpodcast.com forward slash retreats for more info and registration. This episode is brought to you by Kathleen Burr, Helen Jane Roscoe, and my super patrons, Sean, Andrew, Carrie Ann, Robin, and Ryan. Thank you guys so much for all your support. If you're interested in supporting the podcast yourself, please go to patreon.com forward slash Brian James Teaching, where you can become a member of a growing community and receive podcast extras plus hours of yoga practice resources. Now, my conversation with Jim Sanders of Tonkiri Healing Center on the Medicine Path. Hey, Jim, welcome to the Medicine Path podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Um, You've released a film called Tonkiri, which is also the name of your wellness center in Manitoba. And I'm wondering if we could start out by talking about what Tonkiri means and why it has so much significance for you. Well, uh, Tonkiri is the Ashaninka word for for hummingbird. And... um, I mean, I mean, it has many meanings, but um, I mean, for me, when I first started the journey, when I fir- first met Maestro Flores, I remember my first time in my Antiaku, every morning after ceremony, a, a hummingbird came up to me. And um, that was when it first kind of got into my awareness. And then, um, you know, the hummingbird is native to North America and South America spans the Americas. And so it seemed like a suitable symbol or bird for the film that we were making, which was very much about the connecting of the teachings of the South and the North. And then um, beyond that, you know, I, I like the hummingbird because it's, it's small, it's humble, beautiful, uh, yet powerful. And, um, you know, if, and Maestro Flores himself, uh, if you ask him uh, what the hummingbird symbols, he says it, it or symbolizes it, it symbolizes the, the spirit of God. Hmm. So just to maybe bring people up to speed, you're a, you're a Canadian. Yeah. And you're talking about Juan Flores, who's a healer in Peru. Um. Maybe if we could just back up and talk about a little bit about how you got interested in South America and Amazonian plant medicine. Yeah, well, um, I guess back you know twenty years ago, I was quite a quite a activist. I was very active in anarchist social movements in North America, and uh, through that awareness, I kind of was drawn to social movements in South America. And so in 2002, I went down there with my wife and we traveled through Venezuela and Brazil. And it was there that I first heard about ayahuasca and uh, definitely piqued my interest. But I you know, quickly realized that I needed to find the, the real deal. Like, you know, in 2002, I was already aware that there was a lot of charlatans and you got to be careful with this, this kind of powerful medicine. So I didn't actually end up partaking down there. And instead I made a film about coca and the drug war in Bolivia. And that kind of really, you know, spending time with these Bolivian social movements, indigenous social movements made me realize how important the land and their spirituality was to their resilience and their, you know, their vision. So Uh, At that time, I really didn't have much thought for spiritual sides to my activism, but I was definitely, my curiosity was piqued by these, the Bolivian indigenous social movements. So then I came back to Canada and um, was thinking about my next film. And uh, I was introduced to this book by Jeremy Narby, a 
DNA or cosmic serpent DNA and the origins of knowledge. And that book really kind of spoke to me. It kind of demonstrated this, you know, allowed my rational mind to kind of open up to what some of these indigenous people were saying. And it, that's kind of the whole story behind Narby as well, that he didn't necessarily believe what the shamans were saying about plant intelligence, but he was willing to, you know, be open to the idea. So that kind of resonated with me. And then I contacted Jeremy Narby and he uh, told me, I asked him who's the real, the real deal. And he told me to go see Maestro Flores. So then in 2005, I went down there to kind of do research for a film. My, originally my film was going to be, it's called Consuming the Amazon. It was going to be very much about demonstrating how North Americans consume the Amazon in different ways. Um, but I kind of wanted to meet an elder. I wanted to meet a shaman, check out this indigenous knowledge and get kind of some insight into the film. Uh, and then I went there and, you know, everything changed. Hmm. So you were working as a activist filmmaker before you made that first film about uh, coca in Bolivia? Yeah, I was doing a lot of kind of, I made a film about genetic, genetic engineering and a battle, Percy Smizer's battle against Monsanto. And uh, yeah, I was doing kind of like indie DIY documentary activist films and, you know, involved in co-ops and things like that. And um, that's, that's really what got me into filmmaking. So. Um, yeah. So when you met uh, Juan Flores, what was that first meeting like? Was that your first time working with ayahuasca? Yeah, it was the very first time. Uh, and, you know, when we went to Mayantiaku in 2005, uh, it was in the, it still hadn't, you know, it was still in the early years. They didn't have electricity and wasn't many people. Um, I remember meeting Maestro, came to the airport when, uh, when I got picked up. I'm just, I can still see him kind of checking me out. He came to the airport and, himself? Uh, yeah. Well, he was there with, you know, Sandra and, uh, yeah, they came to pick us up mm. and, um, we, uh, went there and, you know, within like a couple of days, I was, my mind was already blown. Um, you know, within two days I was like, Hey, maestro, you should really come to Canada. And he was like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I proceeded spend three weeks there and um really had my mind and heart open to uh what you know what he knows and what he's capable of doing what the plants are capable of doing so um i still didn't know that i would become an iowa scare myself at that point but i definitely was having my world turned upside down um in that first visit yeah you know i was thinking about um what you might have gone through as an apprentice ayahuasquero. And I was thinking that uh, there are a lot of similarities between the more traditional path to becoming a yoga teacher and becoming a curandero or, or healer, mm -hmm. because both roles require you to apprentice with a teacher and also to be totally dedicated to your own practice and healing in order to guide others skillfully and responsibly. And uh, I don't think everyone is cut out for that. And I, I don't expect the people that I work with to make yoga their whole life, but I feel mm -hmm. like in order for me to be a good teacher, it's got to be a major part of my life. And so like, I know what that moment was for me and it really felt like a deep calling. And I'm wondering like, when did you know that you wanted to become an apprentice? Well, it's, it's funny because, um, so yeah, so I invited him to Canada and then on the last night before the last ceremony, he comes into my, cabin and he gives me a few liters of ayahuasca and he's like hey you know you should bring this to canada for my visit because it's better that you do and i'm like okay and, <laughs> and then everyone i was with was telling me not to do it you know it's too risky and i had all this fear kind of bubble up and then i did my ceremony and it was this overwhelming message that no you should bring it and you'll be fine and you'll be good and so I did, and I brought it back. And then it's funny because, you know, here I had this medicine I'm saving for his visit. 
And I remember at, maybe a month later, I started drinking it a bit on my, my own and having, you know, very difficult times uh, dealing with it and um, also feeling very guilty. And then I got an email from Sandra one day saying that Meister wanted me to know that just to be calm and the plants will arrange everything. Basically, it's all good. And <laughs> so at that point, I started to feel less guilty by the fact that I was drinking this medicine I was supposed to be saving. <laughs> so you think um, he, he knew that you were dipping into the, the supply? <laughs> well, he knew, well, he, he gave me that medicine to drink. Ah. Right. You know, he's, he's always known I was to be a healer and start Tonkiri, right? I mean, he's, he's aware of these things. He's transcendent with his awareness. Uh, and he just, yeah, I was, I was supposed to drink because when he, you know, and then we brought him a year later, which was the miracle in its own right. And, uh, of course he brought his own medicine. Um, so I really didn't even, you know, and then, so then he came and then a member of our first ceremonies were at this indigenous gathering. And we did this one at the igniting the fire, this gathering. And there must've been like 70 people in that first ceremony. And, uh, we served the medicine and up to that point I had just been, you know, floored every time I'd done it. But then suddenly, you know, people started feeling the medicine and people needed help. And I had to just, who was going to do it? Well, I guess I was going to be actually one to help. And so suddenly I was, I felt like the medicine was energizing me to help people hmm. and not be floored on the ground. And so I think that was the beginning where I kind of realized that maybe that was my calling as well. And I think so. Mm-hmm. I think it was after that visit, I started, you know, practicing writing ceremonies on my own, you know, listening to his music, trying to duplicate his songs, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, by the time he came again in 2007, I was singing in the ceremonies with him. So, hmm. Well, yeah, I first discovered you through the film uh, Tonkari, which chronicles the journey of Juan Flores to visit, uh, I believe it's a sacred site in Manitoba, and yeah. to, to meet with the First Nation elders there. Uh, yeah. Like, how did that come about? Did you already have a connection to the First Nations people in Manitoba? No, I didn't. And that's why it was so interesting is that, you know, you grew up in Winnipeg, which is a large indigenous population. And, you know, I grew up in a wealthier area. I went to private school. Um, definitely felt uh, like I wanted to be an ally with indigenous people. And I, you know, was aware of the injustices. And, but I didn't know how to approach it. Um, so I found it interesting that I actually have had to go to the Amazon to finally have that kind of impetus to do it. Mm. So once I decided I wanted to invite him, I started reaching out here and I was introduced to various elders here. That's that basically guided me on what I had to do to bring him. So, um, so I started, you know, I did Sundance and started, uh, kind of immersing myself in ceremonies here as a way to kind of gain that respect so that I could bring an elder and, um, and I did, you know, and I met, uh, there was an elder in the film, Don Cardinal, which I was a student of until he passed away. And, um, yeah, so it really didn't, my relationship with indigenous people here didn't start till, um, uh, Maestro came to Canada. So how did you make those first connections to the indigenous community in Manitoba? How did you first reach out? Oh, I think at the time is my partner in the film, Andre, worked at a production company, Eagle Vision. And they, yeah, they they had a TV show called The Sharing Circle. And we actually did an episode for them about our trip to Peru. And then included in in the episode was going to be Maestro's Trip to Canada. So that kind of, and then out of out of that production, we connected to you know, an elder, Dave Kershane, who was the one that got us to Sundance. And so it, it just, it was all, you know, serendipity that kind of opened the door that introduced us to the right people. And so, yeah. And then, so once you got that, that call that you were to be an apprentice to Juan, how did uh, the relationship 
then grow from there? Were you making frequent trips down to Mayantoyaku? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I I was making, I've always made, gone, made, gone there a couple times a year for the last, you know, 14 years. But one of the greatest benefits is all the trips we had him make come here. I probably spent longer times with him here than there. And we'd bring him in for a month or stuff like that. Part of the thing with me is that I started that when I went down to Mayan in 2005, my wife was four months pregnant with our first kid and it wasn't hadn't been planned. And so this whole time I've been an apprentice, I've also been raising two, two kids. Hmm. Um, so part of my struggle was to go down this path and maintain balance in my family at the same time. So, you know, I haven't, I don't, you know, some people go there for long periods of time and I've never got, I've never been able to do that. Um, but it's, it's all good. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering about your relationship with your wife and family. Um, you know, I've been married longer than I've been doing plant medicine and my wife's never gotten so much into it as I have. And so when I, you know, when I would go away to do some ceremonies somewhere, she's always been really supportive. And without that support, there's no way I could kind of make that sacrifice of leaving and, you know, that period of time not working and all that kind of practical stuff that we have to deal with here. And so what's that been like with you and your wife? Is she involved in the whole plant medicine journey as well? Well, I mean, uh, it's been a process. I think in the early years, it, it got too much for her because, you know, Meister would come in his visits. I wouldn't, I would lose money during his trips. They would be crazy because there'd be so many people. I think in the early days as well, I, you know, I wasn't as balanced and centered in my actions. So it was tough, you know, and I definitely, when I decided to go down this journey, it was a unique decision to do. There wasn't anyone else kind of doing this in my you know, community or place. And so there was resistance to my decisions to do this outside of me and also, you know, within my wife. So I think in the first, uh, the first like maybe six, seven years, we struggled with it. It wasn't, it was, I had no choice but to go down this road. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I've always done what I can to, you know, keep the, the home life balanced and good. So fortunately enough, at some point, my wife opened up to the medicine. You know, the thing is, it's like after the real thing about the medicine is, the, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So I just started becoming a healthier, better person, you know, including just how I manage my life, the family and myself. And then I increasingly had healthy, good people around me that were people working with the medicine. So at some point for her to have resistance to it just didn't make sense because, you know, if you, if she, you know, she knew who I was before, which was uh, a rage filled anarchist that was not healthy (laughs) being like you know a good father and healthy so uh and then eventually she kind of opened to it and that's you know maybe that was maybe around five five, six years ago she really opened up to it and and now uh you know she works with the medicine a lot she things in ceremonies she both my kids are fully integrated in with the ceremonies and the medicines and the, you know, we all do, everyone does dietas and, uh, you know, she is a, a believer though. You know, the thing is then, then I got Tonkiri and started building that and that introduced a new level of apprehension on her part. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but like, she, but now, now she, now you're going all the way or something, right? Well, that's the thing. I, it's, I've never, vision has never faltered it's still exactly what you know i was talking about 14 years ago it's just when it starts to manifest and materialize it can 
it's scary. Yeah, it's getting so, real. Uh, <laughs> it's getting it's very real. And so, I mean, I think I think a few years ago there was another level of struggle, um, especially also building a center. And you know, it's we're not we're not wealthy people, so it's any little resources we had was being sucked into it. So, um, but the thing is, uh, now she's uh, seeing the you know, because now we've done most of the building and it's starting to have success. She can, um, she's, you know, a believer. So, mm. but yeah, it's, it's always a journey and a struggle. And, uh, but I, I like, I live by that, like keeping the, the home, uh, peaceful and balanced is what allows me to be a good healer. So, yeah, that's great. Um, some good friends of mine out West, uh, sounds like a very, similar story um you know they've got a young kid and they decided to buy a piece of property and bit by bit build up a center and so being with them through that whole journey uh from reclaiming this rundown property to starting with what first fixing up their home and then building like putting in a yurt and then starting to build these uh other structures that people could stay in or they could have larger ceremonies and gatherings. It was pretty amazing to see. And, you know, I saw a lot of the struggle as well. It's not easy. And uh, especially with the little kid, it was so cool how they were able to integrate her into that whole life. Uh, People coming in and out, there being ceremonies, First Nations elders coming in and doing ceremonies and teachings and I just thought, what an experience for that kid to be able to grow up in a family where there's community and ceremony and ritual. Um, it's pretty amazing. But I think a lot of people maybe on the outside would be freaked out to think that there are little kids in an ayahuasca ceremony. Yeah, you know, and that's just, I agree. And that's just something, that's the next level of the education we need to do. I mean, and... I mean, ayahuasca should be a family affair. Um, <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a, that's the that's you know that would be the indigenous way. Um, and uh, I, you know, yeah, we when I do ceremony at Tonkari in the summer, my girls are they serve the medicine. They're doing the flashlight. Oh, <laughs> um, they drink they drink they drink the medicine. My thirteen year old, she's starting to sing. Mm. You know, and they do. And then I would talk this summer at Tonkery, my 13 year old did all my accounting and managing. So she would do all the <laughs> receipts and who's coming in, where they're staying. And she would meet with, you know, my other team and give them all the details. And then my other one, she would make all the dieta medicines. Wow. So I just wanted to go make a tamari. She'd go make it. She'd bring it back. I'd blow the tobacco with the sublato in it. And then she'd take it to the people. And it's funny because they even had like uh, their own little market. Mm. making bracelets yeah my friend's daughter does that too yeah they, they get her to set up a little market table so people yeah. coming through can buy some of the stuff that she makes yeah exactly and so that they, they were even uh rolling people's mapacho for them <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah you know i and they love it because they just get to meet all these super cool people well, and, um, you know, I'm I'm interested to hear, like, what was their experience when they started to sit in ceremonies and then later drink the medicine? Well, I mean, they've both been in it since they were babies. So mm. uh, they've it's been around the whole time. They started drinking the medicine a few years ago. Um, I mean, normally they just come to ceremony and then go to sleep, right? Mm. Uh, now they come, they drink the medicine, and they usually just fall asleep. And then I wake them up just before I wake them up before Sublato. And then they get the Sublato and they, they like to hang out after Sublato and listen and, and check with people. My youngest this summer, for the first time, I f- was feeling the medicine. And there was a couple of ceremonies where she didn't sleep. And she was definitely feeling the medicine. Um, she was great. She loved it. You so know, I think... Go ahead. And a lot of times that they're, you know, they might sleep, but they might have very powerful dreams. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, so is that because you're giving them very small amounts or do you think there's something different with kids, how the medicine affects them? I'm giving, well, both, but I, I'm giving them small amounts, right? So yeah. it's just, it's, it's all, 
it's a family affair, but it's all, you know, it's important to know, know your medicine and know the dosage and who needs what, right? So, um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting watching someone, you know, my younger daughter, daughter integrate her experience based off no real expectations or understanding what that experience should be. Right. Which is a nice thing to see because lots of Westerners come into ceremony loaded with expectations of what yeah. it should be. Yeah. And that is usually what that's usually uh, hinders their experience. Um, so it's nice to see such a genuine, open uh, interpretation of it coming, you know, that kids can bring to it. So, so yeah, coming to it with such fresh eyes, uh, what kind of reports does she give? Well, she didn't really give me any reports. I just, you know, there was, uh, this is one ceremony where she was super awake and super, just was really aware with where everyone was in the ceremony, who was missing from the circle. And she, it almost could seem like she was seeing spirits because she kept, you know, seeing people go into like the cabin and stuff. No one was. So I think she was she was hyper aware and sensitive of her surroundings and her nature. She's a very like my oldest. She's very uh, she's already very aware and caring. Like I could, and so seeing her, it just kind of heightened that sense, right? And so which is which is great because that's the sense of a healer is you know being aware of everyone around you and where they're at so um so yeah so i just you know and i just noticed this level of her and then you know just uh and then noticing the extra level of her uh of warmth that kind of she exuded after that ceremony um was nice to see because she's normally quite a reserved kid and but she was just uh extra kind her her sister which was very surprising <laughs> oh sweet <laughs> yeah so what's it like when they go uh to a birthday party or something and they're yeah. they're talking with other kids who i'm sure i'm not sure yeah. maybe maybe you've got a larger community there but i'm i'm guessing that they're also interacting with kids whose parents well, aren't, aren't involved they, in ceremony and things well yeah they don't i mean i don't they're very interesting they don't I think their dad's work is a bit of a mystery for their friends. Um, I don't think they talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, they, and they're okay with that kind of thing. So it's, they've always been that way, you know, so they, they, it's funny. They, they have incredible reverence and respect and openness to what I do, but they aren't necessarily, I think they're pretty reserved when it comes to, introducing it to kids that have no clue what the hell they're talking about. So, yeah. Um, so that's, it just kind of maintains that. But now the thing is, it's like at this point, it's, I'm quite well known in the city for what I do. Um, I'm quite open about it. Uh, you know, you always have a very large community of people, including kids that are part of it that know, but not necessarily their school friends and stuff. And, but I think increasingly their parents are figuring out who I am and what I do. So, but you know, it's, it's, a, I think sometimes a hard thing for people on the outside to understand because my family and I were just, we're very healthy, calm, good people. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't come across as what may you, what their, their stereotype of what, you know, uh, western shaman would be <laughs> yeah um, you, you, well i think you know i want to commend you for for being so open about it um especially considering that you're a family man and i think that's so important for people to see to start to normalize if that's the right word some of these practices um because in indigenous culture it is normalized it's a normal everyday part exactly. of life and that's something that we've lost as people of European descent. 
And, you know, I think that's a big problem why there's so much uh, sickness in our society. And so mm -hmm. pe people like you who are uh, finding that healing for yourself, but then openly sharing it, I think is so important if we, uh, if we want to integrate these practices more and more into our lives. Yeah, you know, it's a great thing when someone comes to a ceremony and they see two kids in their pajamas serving the medicine because <laughs> it's a really good first step to make you get out of your, like, you know, it's medicine, right? It's yeah. not a... So your pre like preconceptions that people are going to be going crazy and freaking yeah. out. It's like, wait a minute, there's cute little kids here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So and I find that that's such an important uh, message to be uh, putting out there. Well, and I can imagine it would really help people to relax and open, which would help them totally. have a more um, positive experience. Totally, 100%. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. So um, going back to Mayan Tayaku, <clears throat> yeah. it's a pretty unique place. I haven't been there myself, but uh, it looks like I'll be heading there soon. And so I've been doing some research on it, and it's a pretty unique geographic mm. location, and I think a pretty unique center, especially compared with the center uh, that I've been to near Iquitos called the Temple of the Way of Light, which mm -hmm. is very much an amalgam of uh, Western facilitators with indigenous healers. And there's quite a organization around that. Mm -hmm. Where, whereas Mayanteyaku seems like more of a, a typical family healing center or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Mayanteyaku is, it's Meister Flores, you know, and the plants. Uh, so it's uh, very pure and it's uh, Ashninka indigenous kind of method. Mm -hmm. And so what's it like there? Uh, can you talk about the boiling river that runs through <laughs> that property? Yeah, I mean, Mayantiaku is, uh, uh, I don't think there's another place like it on the planet really. And um, I mean, the boiling river is just so dominant from its steam and its noise and its presence. And it's, you know, because in the, in the main Maloka, which is right on the edge of the river where you do the ceremonies, you know, Maestro at the beginning of the ceremony is singing and he's calling out to the spirits and they come down from the jungle through the river into the steam and they enter in. So the steam is like kind of coming into the Maloka and swirling around. And that's the spirits kind of coming in. Hmm. And so it is, uh, to do ceremony there is like no other place specifically with the presence of that, that vapor and that steam, uh, in ceremony. So, well, I'm sure it would add to the whole drama of the event. So it sure does for a yeah. shaman. That's, that's great. It's got like, you've got a smoke machine and everything, right? Oh yeah. No, no. And I mean, <laughs> And the light, will like you know, there'll be like no clouds, but there'll be like lightning charges going off all night, and uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, he's an uncomparably amazing, knowledgeable healer. That is a privilege to uh, learn from while he's here, because his his knowledge of plants and his spiritual. Uh, Awareness is like you try to imagine it and you have no idea. Well, that brings up an interesting point. Uh, you know, um, I think I take it for granted, but I don't know if a lot of people understand that these South American shamans aren't just working with the psychotropic plants like ayahuasca, but they've got a whole. Uh, I mean, it's a whole medical system almost akin to. Uh, Ayurveda or Chinese traditional medicine in that they work with a number of different plants and healing modalities. And so could you speak a little bit about uh, how Juan Flores works? Well, and that's important to understand. So ayahuasca or camarampi, which is how you say it in the Ashtonico language, um, that is like the, that's like the force. Um, but the real way of targeting specific illnesses or things you want to learn is through the dietas 
And that is, you know, there's hundreds of plants and trees that Maestro works with. And he'll make a concentrate out of that tree, with a lot of using a lot of barks and trees, but also plants. He makes a concentrate. And then let's say you're doing, you know, an average diet is around 10 days, sometimes longer. And what you do is then you drink that concentrate two or three times a day during that duration. And you have like you know, no salt, no sugar, a very bland diet. And then every two days you do the, the ayahuasca ceremony. And it's, so as you're embodying the spirit of that plant and medicine inside you, and then it's in the ceremony that Maestro sings the Akaros that activate that dieta medicine in you. And that, so the, basically it's through the Akaros that then the spiritual aspect of that medicine is activated. So if someone's dieting on the Tama Murray, then in ceremony he sings the Tama Murray song, then that brings the Tama Murray spirit to come do the actual healing work on people. So that when that is the full tradition and you don't know it's until that's practiced it's you know fully understanding the potential because that's where you know you see the miracle healing where people have trauma that just washes away or bones that heal or you know whatever i mean maestro's knowledge of all the illnesses that we can have and how to work with trees to heal them is just amazing and i'm sure he's been learning a lot over the years on how to treat uh like gringos or westerners whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. us people from the north who who come there with with, i think a lot of different issues than uh you know people in his own community might have you know i think we've got a whole different set of uh kind of mental issues like anxiety and depression and stuff that I'm not sure if they see so much of down there. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, and that's so much of his experience is working and healing Westerners. And I mean, that's also something I've come up, you know, I come up with up here is just, yeah. I mean, the main thing is depression, anxiety, right. Um, which is like an epidemic really. And, um, and, you know, and ayahuasca is great for that, but there's actually, you know, trees like the town of Murray or the Camalonga um, really excel in uh, healing depression, anxiety in people. And um, uh, so I work with that a lot up here, but yeah, he's constantly dealing with all these issues and like things like, you know, diabetes and uh, cancer, stuff like that. So, right. That's, uh, you know, that brings up something that I was speaking with someone about, um, talking about how I got introduced to the more medicinal use of tobacco down in South America mm-hmm. and just how different the tobacco is down there from the tobacco that you'd find in a manufactured cigarette up here. Mm-hmm. It's like you're not even talking about the same thing anymore. No. And, um, you know, I was telling them about how the Shipibo people I was working with uh, would smoke these mapacho cigarettes like crazy and these yeah. giant cigar sized cigarettes full of black tobacco smoking them all day and night and apparently what i had heard was that they have very low instance of cancer there oh yeah yeah they're not getting lung cancer from mapachos i mean that's uh, i'm i'm a big i mean the term for or in the ashnika term for a healer is sherry piari one who blows tobacco Hmm. and um so the tobacco is such an integral part like the tobacco ceremony drinking it uh is so integral to the whole process and then um the mapachos are you know the in the tradition the tobacco is the it's the chief of the healing process it's the guide it's the tobacco spirit that's telling the other spirits what to do and where to go right um ayahuasca is like the power in the force and the tobacco is the the director hmm. so um yeah, I mean, out of Tonkari, we're famous for smoking lots of power. We're a tobacco-friendly site. Lots of machos. But that's what they say, like, the spirits are hungry for the tobacco, right? So they, it's how you attract the spirits close to you. 
it's how you protect yourself. And I mean, it's different. You don't really bring it into your lungs, but it's, you know, it's pure, it's nicotine arrestica, it's the old tobacco. Um, so it's kind of neat because I'm slowly introducing it to various indigenous allies I have up here mm-hmm. that already have a relationship with tobacco, but I, a lot of them are very happy to come across a tobacco that they can smoke in healthy ways. And uh, yeah, the tobacco, is the tobacco a real bridge between the tradition in South America and the traditions here? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say, that going back to where we started with the tonkiri, the hummingbird, uh, kind of being this spiritual bridge between the North and South Americas. Uh, Tobacco plays a big part in First Nations ceremonial culture up here as well. But what I've seen, it's a kind of it's a different relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. In South America, they're using the tobacco a lot more, smoking it and blowing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even well, drinking it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up here, it's it's usually given as an offering, and mm-hmm. maybe smoked in a in a pipe with some mm-hmm. other herbs in it, like yeah. bear bear root or something. But not yeah. to the extent that they're smoking it and actively working with it down in South America. Yeah, so, here it's prayer and you know, offering, not and not so much uh, medicinal, mm. right? So. Um, and, you know, I mean, the nicotine rustica, the tobacco of the east, of eastern Canada, used to be nicotine rustica. So mm. um, the same strain that, you know, they have down in South America. And it's interesting also, like in the Icaro for tobacco, it actually, part of the Icaro is basically the imagery is of a tobacco plant and a tobacco flower that a hummingbird flies to feed off. Mm. Hummingbirds love tobacco flowers. And... Um, yeah, I've always liked to see as I like I like to see it south in North America as basically a big tobacco plant. <laughs> With all of our uh little spirits flying around like hummingbirds. Yeah. And visiting in different flowers and taking pollen from one flower and maybe bringing it north or bringing it south and having this uh intercultural uh exchange of sorts, right? Mhm. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. So how have the First Nations peoples been receiving what you've brought with tobacco? Has it, has it changed how they work with it? Well, I mean, I've just, it's a, I've worked with various First Nation communities in different ways over the years. Uh, at this point, I kind of have more um, various First Nations friends and allies and students that kind of work with me in ceremony. Um, I am presently developing um, partnership and relationships with various Northern Ontario First Nations reserves who are interested in working with Tonkiri and the medicine more deeply. So I'm pretty pumped about that. And that's kind of my main focus right now is, is, um, is you know providing the service to these communities that are looking for you know some solution for a lot of their health problems yeah these are very traumatized communities um and you know when i lived out west the thing that was unique about living on vancouver island is that the reservations are right next to the cities and towns unlike other places in canada where unless you traveled out to the reservation for some reason, like usually for me as a kid, it was cheap gas. Um, You would never come into contact with First Nations people. But um, when we moved out to the West Coast, I really had to confront that relationship between, uh, you know, us and them, to put it bluntly. And I saw what was going on in those communities. Uh, There's a lot of substance abuse, a lot of suicide and depression. And I think those communities are really in need of healing. And part of what's happened in those communities is that their own traditions have been eradicated. Yeah. And so is that something that you're looking to offer is uh, bringing a tradition that's 
been kept intact by people like Juan Flores and offering some? Yeah. So, I mean, the whole premise of my relationship with these communities is, you know, I'm not bringing a tradition to replace their traditions. I'm bringing a tradition that is very healthy and strong and has very powerful medicine. So it's like a powerful intervention. Mm. And um, at this point, you know, some of these communities I'm working with who are in a, you know, a state of emergency for youth suicides and many health issues are just looking for something that works mm-hmm. because they're, you know, the, the new form of, or it's very clear to me that present day colonialism is most active in the way Western medicine works with these communities because everyone is so, you know, getting un- or unhealthy, being entrapped in the Western medical system, and then it just things get worse and worse. Not, there's no healing happening, right? So, um, so yeah, so that's the way I'm kind of coming in, and Tonkery is positioning itself as to, uh, uh, you know, bring in a powerful medicine, a good medicine. You know, the thing about Maestro Flores, it's like, he's just... A unique healer it doesn't matter that he's from the Amazon. It could, it could be from anywhere. He's just he's just a one of a kind healer that all places on this planet could benefit from. You know, um, so I I'm, I'm excited. I, it looks like I'm on the verge of forging quite a an alliance with and having a lot of indigenous people come to Tonkery to to receive healing. So. Mm. Uh, that's kind of where I'm at these days. Yeah, I think like we can't uh, look at the issues happening in those communities and not think about the factors of uh, the economics and education. So mm-hmm. I think you know those communities. There's not a lot of education about living healthily and healthy diet and things like that. And also, they don't have a lot of money to access. Well, they don't even have like a food to to access. Like it's, I was up in Wapakika First Nation just this month, and uh, I mean, it's the food in their stores. You know, there's there's no there's nothing fresh. Um, and the, and but the thing is, like, like even beyond the education, it's like there's just a level of. I mean, these people have been uh, treated like crap for so long. And there's so much trauma, like until the spirit is kind of healed, there will be no will to and desire to eat well or mm-hmm. to make the changes, right? So yeah. um, that's why I think this medicine is a key intervention because that's one thing ayahuasca and the medicine Maestro Flores can do is it can infuse in anyone's heart uh hope and uh you know love and vision and so you know i'm hoping that that that's what we can do and then that'll help you know the repercussions of that will be people starting to make the right choices and you know healthier communities so um, yeah I, I think one of the things that ayahuasca has done for me is um reconnecting me to my soul, my, the deepest parts of myself. And, um, out of that coming more self-love and self-respect and, and you're right that I think that needs to be there. And that's the impetus for making healthier choices in your lifestyle. Yeah. So I I think that's beautiful. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Gabor Mate, who a few years ago was trying to do the same thing with first nations people out on the West coast and, Mm -hmm. I think he got shut down by Health Canada. Now, how are you navigating the whole legal aspect of this? Well, so the first step is that I believe I'm serving the the wishes of the plants. And if I'm and the needs of the people too. Yeah, but I mean, but basically the reason why I'm not I don't worry about legality is because 
I believe I'm an agent of spirit and if spirit wants me to do this, then that's what I'm going to do. Uh, you know, this world is not, the world is the world of the plants, the world of spirits, the world of God. That's where the power lies. So uh, if that's, if, if the plants want me to do this, they're going to protect me to do this. So I just keep doing it. Um, but on the level of, at the same time, I definitely want to, it needs to go to the next level and um uh i hope in the near future to get you know legal permission to uh expand my work and import and that kind of stuff so have, have um, you started that process uh i'm aware of the process i mean there's a precedent there's the church in montreal that has legal permission mm-hmm. um so it's i understand the whole thing and the thing is i think my avenue will be in a in a partnership with indigenous people that are requesting access to the medicine Mm. um, because they have a right to this medicine. And so that's the route I want to go. Um, I don't want to start a religion. And uh, so I'm, 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 I think the doorway, the quickest doorway will be, uh, you know, uh, various indigenous communities working with me to get that permission. Yeah, so something similar to uh, Native American church and peyote? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, it's like I stop. I don't I don't worry about it. I just do it. Um, and uh, But at this point, uh, if I'm going to start working with full communities, I need to be able to bring in more medicine. Right. And to do that, you have to do it legally. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, it'd be good. It's it would just open up a lot, and um, uh, I think it'd be a good thing. So, yeah. Well, man, I really commend your conviction in this because I think um, these are desperate times, and we need to take desperate measures. Um, exactly. And the 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 conventional interventions just are not working, and they're not accessible to a lot of no. the people who need them. No, it's true. No, I mean it's it's. I'm already not able to handle the the demand of an interest of people that want it that are looking for some kind of healing and refuge from what they normally have to deal with. Wow. So, twenty years ago, did you ever think that your activism would take you into doing the kind of social <laughs> activism that you're doing now? As a human? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> no, and that's the thing. But the thing is, I'm still the same person. I'm still an activist, yeah. right? But I just realized that healing, uh, you know, and love and humility, that's, that's the most powerful form of activism. It's just it's, it's the exact opposite of where I used to be. Hmm. But so on some level, I'm still fighting the same fight. But I would not have expected it to turn out this way at all. <laughs> yeah, so... I- like maybe it's a matter of it not coming from a place of anger and rage anymore, but a place yeah. of uh, deep love and care for yourself yeah. and others. Yeah, totally. 100%. So, uh, and it's way more effective and uh, I can reach way more people in all walks of life and, um, and build, you know, resilient community. Right. Yeah. I'm totally with you. And, you know, my path has been, yoga and trying to make that as accessible and relatable to people as possible and cut through like a lot of the bullshit in the commercial yoga world and just give people this healing technology. Um, And so I'm right there with you. And I I do see it for myself as a form of social activism as well. Right. That's important. Yeah. Coming from like a more um, positive place than um, trying to tear down the system or something, you know? Yeah. Well, man, it's been really amazing talking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks for uh, doing this. Thanks for doing the good work, Jim. Okay, take care, Brian. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I will I 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.